Welcome back to the Morning Kick podcast. This is a replay episode from the live YouTube, Facebook and LinkedIn show produced by Excite Media. We encourage you if you're looking at digital marketing, website design, to contact us via excitemedia.com.au. Now let's revisit one of our earlier programs and join our guest. Well, good morning, Kicksters. Thursday, how has your week been? Whether you're watching us live on YouTube, Facebook, and now, thanks to an approval we've just gotten, we're actually live on LinkedIn. So I encourage you to share the recordings. And listen, if you're watching a replay of The Morning Kick, it'd be fantastic for you to give us some feedback. Feel free to leave a comment, and we'll look forward to doing some more shows that are in line with the type of thing that you think your business needs for some inspiration. Well, we're taking a little bit of a detour today. Uh, You may remember a little while ago, we talked to Jane Shakespeare from the Fig Tree Children to have a talk about their charity and what's been happening. We thought it was a good idea to have a look at how charities have been affected by COVID-19. I'm very pleased to be able to welcome to the show this morning, Catherine Raskov from the Fundraising Institute of Australia or the FIA known to its friends. Catherine, thanks very much for joining the Kickstarters this morning. Thanks for having me, Andrew. I'm really glad to be here. Now, you were up bright and early. I understand that you were in a planning session this morning. Uh, Can you give us a little bit of insight into what's happening at FIA that would have you up early on a Thursday? Sure. So while we're a national body, uh, Fundraising Institute Australia, we do have relationships with industry bodies in fundraising all around the world. And we have really strong relationships with fundraising institutes in the US in particular. And so I had a a. 7am call uh, to Washington, D.C., which was 5pm their time. Uh, to talk about upcoming joint activities and events. So that was really great. Uh, But yeah, an early start. That's fantastic. And I I understand that for the FIA Australia, we were able to just slip in our FIA conference in February, but you're planning for next year, looking for better things and I guess looking for how you do things virtually or otherwise. That's right. So uh, the Fundraising Institute Australia National Conference is held in late February every year. And we had our conference on February 26th in Brisbane this year, right before sort of the impact of COVID really hit hard. And we had a very successful conference. And the nature of that conference, we have uh, over 800 uh, registrations, registrants and about 1,000 people in total, means that once one is finished, you have to start planning the next one. So we're already thinking about February of 2021, and it uh, has been scheduled for Melbourne. So we're working out how we can actually deliver that in the new COVID, COVID world. So that will be interesting. Well, keep being adapting. We know that uh, one thing COVID is teaching us is that you can't plan too far ahead. In fact, you probably need a few plans to be in place. Catherine, I want to get a bit of a picture for people that maybe are in business. Maybe they give to charities. Uh, they've had people like the Surf Life Saving come to their door and things, but they're probably not aware of how big the charitable sector is in Australia and how much good work is done. Can you give us a picture of the charitable sector as it is in Australia today and where FIA fits into that? Yes, so the charitable sector is really significant. It delivers $150 billion to Australia. Now, the fundraising revenue, which is what Fundraising Institute Australia are largely looking after, is around $10.5 billion. 
And so it's quite significant. As a whole, the charitable sector employs 1.3 million people, which is larger than the mining and manufacturing sectors. So it is really significant. And the number of volunteers are in the millions as well. So we do have quite a big impact on Australia. And obviously, in the fundraising space, we're actually filling the gap where, uh, you know, others are not able to in terms of supporting the, you know, millions of causes uh, that are in need of support in Australia and around the world. Uh, often we will see something on the news that talks about a bad news case of something that's happened within a charity and lose sight of the bigger picture of all this incredible good that's been done. I understand that the FIA actually helps bring some some principles, some structure to ensure that charities can function in a credible manner. How do you do that? Yeah, I think that's really important. So obviously, in order to continue to gain the support of Australians for all the causes that are needed, you do need to engender trust and confidence in fundraising and in the charitable sector. And so we have a code of conduct, which our members uh, adhere to, and it's a tenant of membership. So if you are a member of FIA, you do need to sign on to the code. There is a bit of training required to understand the tenants of the code. And we have some guidance and practice notes that help uh, fundraising organizations really understand how they can be best practice ethical fundraisers. And we think that if we continue in this way, as well as um, build up the professionalism of fundraising you know, as a proper profession with professional development and ongoing training, uh, that we can continue to enjoy the trust and confidence of Australians in the charitable sector. There are always bad news stories and there, there is in every, uh, in every industry and that is really unfortunate when that happens. But as you say, by and large, the charitable sector does incredible work, makes a significant impact. And especially those that are FI members are really um, top-notch ethical best practice fundraisers. You can certainly meet some incredible people that are actually involved in the sector who um, probably start off as volunteers initially and then start to realise that they can contribute more full-time or their professionalism. But you do need to know the sector well. And I think it's great that organisations like the FIA can actually help you understand, shall we say, the nuances of non-profit and charity law, etc. So this is the website for fia.org.au. Um, a lot to do with training events and professional development that we can find here. What other resources are available to the members that become part of FIA? Well, FIA are also an advocacy body. So we lobby the federal Commonwealth government and state governments on various issues that affect the fundraising sector. In particular, uh, we lobby around the areas of red tape reduction. So there's enormous red tape and fundraising legislation around the country. And it does cost charities quite a lot of money, time and resource every year. So we're working very closely with the Commonwealth and the state fundraising bodies to harmonize the state-based legislation that covers fundraising. We also advocate on behalf of the sector for other issues such as uh, checks as a form of payment, for example, where there's some um, pressure on, uh, on checks in Australia and whether they can continue. Uh, tax deductibility in, in helping Australians to um, potentially increase the opportunity for giving with additional tax benefits and a number of other issues that uh, the sector faces. We do quite a lot of lobbying and advocacy work on, on their behalf. And also we have tools and resources uh, for charities of all sizes. So if they're starting in their fundraising journeys and they're very small charities, or if they're very large uh, charities who are developing their teams, we do have uh, an enormous plethora of resources available to help um, build that professional knowledge uh, of fundraising, uh, the tools and the techniques and um, the best practice ethical approaches to do so. That's brilliant. And, and I see there's a number of chapters around the country that have their own space. Of course, uh, for our Queenslanders, there you go, state slash QLD. 
and you can find out more if you know somebody that's maybe in the charitable sector and, and didn't even realize this resource was here. Good to be able to point them to it and find out whether they can draw on some of the professional developments available. Catherine, can we come back to your own situation and, and just ask, how did you actually get involved in fundraising and then the FIA? Well, I've actually had an interest in fundraising for quite a number of years. I have done a number of volunteer roles and including um, board roles with organizations that do fundraising. But prior to this role, I was the uh, head of marketing, comms and membership and deputy to the CEO of the Association for Data-Driven Marketing and Advertising, that's ADMA, which is another industry body that represents marketing in Australia. And so um, and if sort of an affinity with membership organizations was always in my, um, in my playbook, I guess. And when the opportunity came up to lead FIA uh, and I interviewed for the role, I got really excited about the impact that fundraising as to Australia makes on charities uh, and the opportunity to really advance the sector through the professional development and advocacy work that FIA does. So yeah, some, a number of years of experience in association land sort of got me to, to FI, which is also um, an industry association for fundraising. And ever since I arrived two years ago, I've really felt like it's the perfect fit for me. And there's, uh, there are so many opportunities. And what's incredible is the, the way that fundraisers, this is a little bit different from marketing, really give back. They give to each other. They share their stories. They share their tactics. They share their successes. Uh, they volunteer. So the Queensland chapter that you just referenced in the FI website is part of uh, a chapter of over 200 volunteers on behalf of FI in the sector who put on events and activities to help engage and connect and share um, you know, best practice techniques across the country. And that is incredible. I've never seen a sector that is so willing to share and help each other. And that that just makes it really easy to get up in the morning and, and come to work every day. Attracting the right people is part of that, isn't it? Now, it's interesting that within um, charity, obviously making sure that we stay on the rails, so to speak, uh, there's two organisations that I can think of within Australia, one being yourselves. And then, of course, we have available to us the ACNC. Uh, these kind of organisations in different countries didn't appear until a few years back. And now they're helping to kind of shape the way in which charities are regulated. What's the relationship between FIA and the ACNC, the Australian Charities and Non-for-Profits Commission? Well, the ACNC is the charity regulator. Uh, fundraising Institute Australia is really around fundraising. So, uh, so we do work closely with the ACNC on issues that affect fundraising, although the ACNC don't in particular regulate fundraising because that's held at a state level. Uh, but we do have a good relationship with the ACNC. We're part of sector forums where we share ideas, thoughts, uh, feedback from the sector, fundraising challenges and issues. And the good thing about the ACNC is it's an incredible resource for both the public and for charities themselves. So charities uh, submit their annual information statements to the ACNC. And when they do that, the ACNC holds that information and can convey that to donors or, and Australians and supporters who are looking for charities to support. And there's a level of uh, transparency uh, and um, reporting on charities on the ACNC website that you can go and find out uh, information um, to make yourself feel, you know, as a donor, confident and comfortable that that charity is, is properly registered, uh, that it has their accounts in order, and you can even find out um, more information about their programs, what they deliver, uh, and what impact they're making on, um, on Australia and the world through their fundraising activities. 
And there's good information there for you at acnc.gov.au. In fact, as um, Catherine was saying, you don't actually need to be in the charitable sector to get a benefit from that. If you as a business are looking to give to a charity, want to know a little bit more background about them, understand what their submissions have been, how their accounts have been running, this is the place to have a look. Catherine, let's circle back to how COVID-19 has affected the charitable sector. Um, I had some experience back in, I think it was 2004 or five when the uh, Bandarat Chase tsunami hit, and that certainly um, really hit the charitable sector in Australia. How is the sector responding to COVID-19? Uh, people probably are, are thinking, I need to look after home base. Are they still looking after the charities? Yeah, it has been a very challenging time and keep in mind that it's come off the back of a really challenging start to the year with the extreme bushfire season on the East Coast and that was, you know, prior to, prior to that was the drought in many parts of Australia. So Australians have already been in, in quite tough times, you know, since the start of the year. What we saw just before COVID was an incredible amount of generosity to bushfire relief and over $500 million raised for those efforts. So it it was a little bit worrying when uh, COVID hit whether or not charities would be able to continue um, to garner the support of Australians. And uh, in the first couple of months, I think that was being challenged. Although um, what we did see is that uh, the events, the events in particular were impacted with social distancing and other requirements of um, living in a COVID safe world. So that was a huge, um, huge impact on charities who normally rely on events for much of their fundraising. What's been incredible though, is that they have been able to consider new and innovative ways to deliver events. They've sort of used, I hate to use the word pivot, but they've definitely pivoted. And I know a lot of small businesses would need to do that, thinking about new ways to connect with their customers, clients, and in this case, supporters and donors. So while the events uh, channel itself has been hit quite significantly, the opportunity to use other channels, including um, telemarketing, more Australians are at home now working from home, so they're able to be reached more effectively. Direct mail, uh, again, with Australians being at home, that channel has sort of um, been strengthened in a way. And also the shift which has been happening over the last couple of years to direct and social channels. Uh, and so as a result, despite some really uh, pessimistic uh, outlook, um, forecasts at the maybe at the start of March or April, we are seeing that the end of tax, as uh, end of financial year, tax appeals have done fairly well. That charities who have been able to fit to um, innovative ways to deliver events have done fairly well, and so things are not looking quite as bad at this point uh, as they had in March, and that's encouraging. I think you're right about the Southeast Asia tsunami. What we have seen is that there there is a bit of a dip. Um, in charitable giving as Australians um, think about, you know, the impact that they've got in their own lives. But generally, um, it does come back up. Uh, so there is a wealth management company, JB Weir, who have done, who they do outlooks every year, and they've done one in April to say that they're, they, they're thinking that fundraising would be impacted by uh, a drop of about 7.1% the rest of this year, and then about 11.9% next year. So 20% in total in two years. And if that is the case, that will be quite challenging. So I know a lot of charities and fundraising organizations are currently doing the best they can, pivoting to different activities and events, you know, innovative approaches, uh, creative thinking, and also uh, the uh, assistance of JobKeeper to sort of keep them going as well. Yeah, speaking to a few charities, that has definitely been a help. And the fact that there was a lower threshold for the charities, I think, was a, a very good move. In terms of the smaller versus larger charities, have you heard any kind of feedback on whether the smaller charities have struggled to pivot, whereas maybe the larger charities have got more resource, more ability to flex? 
Yeah, I think that's generally the case. Uh, larger charities do have, first of all, probably greater reserves, which is helpful to call on in times when you do need to invest in different technologies to deliver, you know, different events and other activities. And so I think they have seen um, sort of, um, you know, not not quite the the decrease or the dip that potentially was was forecast. But a lot of our smaller members are definitely feeling um, the challenges. And uh, without significant resources or teams to be able to help consider how uh, they could approach fundraising activities in a different way, I think they will continue to be challenged for the rest of this year and into next year. One of the things I've noticed across the sector, I guess it's the same for business as well, is that the input of SaaS-based or cloud-based software certainly is making things more affordable. A number of years ago, if you needed a good fundraising platform, you might have had investments north of $20,000 and wasn't for the bigger ones, $100,000. But now monthly subscription or donor-based platforms, that must be making it easier for people to reach, as you said, through social channels and other ways of reaching the person who may donate. Yeah, definitely. I think um, the advent of crowdfunding platforms has also helped as well. And while that was sort of the purvey of individual individuals looking to fundraise, increasing new charities are using some of those platforms. And often the fees uh, are borne by the donor themselves who offered to give an additional couple of dollars to pay for the transaction. So that has become a much um, more realistic alternative for smaller charities, and they are taking advantage of that. And I think that's an exciting way to really um, use technology to the most advantage for charities, as you say, without the significant investments that are required. Because again, smaller charities wouldn't have those kinds of reserves or capital um, you know, to, to be able to sort of um, you know, spend on those kinds of systems. One thing that surprised me when we were talking earlier, I anticipated that there'd be a move to things like mobile donations, online donations, et cetera. So I wondered whether the advent of COVID was similar to the restaurant industry. I've got to do everything via an Uber or a DoorDash or menu log, some kind of delivery system. I had to basically go digital to keep my business running. But where does direct mail, getting something in my post box versus getting an email, where's that featuring in the charity sector at the moment? Well, I think for some charities, it is still a strong proposition and uh, many charities use a value exchange. So, for example, if you might see an ad on TV to uh, ring up for a kid on how to um, manage your new adopted pet, for example, from RSPCA, you would get something in the mail for that. And then um, in exchange, you might give a donation back. So uh, the, there are a couple of methods of how you can actually exchange something with the donor to be able to get something in return. And I think that does, uh, direct mail is a good channel for that um, because you can physically, you know, ha have something and hold something. And I think, um, you know, in, the, in times where obviously digital is really, really important, it still is important to consider that there is a generation of Australians who do like to get things in the mail, to have things you know, physical in their hands. So I think both will, um, will continue to have a part to play for quite a while. But in the case of um, online donations, for example, we are seeing the advent of technologies that allow for a lot more mobile giving. Uh, and, you know, we're moving to, especially in COVID world, a bit of a cashless society, aren't we? 
Uh, I can't even remember the last time I paid for something in cash. It's been, you know, maybe six months or something like that. So this is where charities need to really consider the um, digital payments solutions and technologies that are available. And there are a number of them that are coming up that I think charities will be able to take advantage of to uh, to capture. Um, you know, it's going to be difficult to capture, for example, the, the ones in two dollars and things like that. But certainly more cash based um, donations that can convert to digital, I think, are going to be increasingly important. And we are seeing charities take those up. So Catherine, as you look at the sector as a whole, I can imagine that there's this concern that certainly the, the sector's been taking a hit. But would it be fair to say that COVID-19 reminds us of the fact that we need our charities, we need each other? What, what do you see as the outlook for the next 12 months? Yeah, absolutely. What's interesting is that at a time when charities are taking a hit in their fundraising income, their services are needed even more and more. You know, if you consider um, cancer still needs to be cured, um, you know, that mental health issues are on the rise because of this pandemic. Um, you know, food banks are, um, you know, in you know, people are in dire need and they need the services of food banks, for example. So it is quite an interesting juxtaposition that at the time when, when fundraising revenue is being threatened um, and will likely be for the rest of this year and into next, that the services of charities are even more and more important. So uh, that's why it is really worthwhile for us to consider how we can help, how we can assist, how we can continue um, to give to the causes that we care about, that we know are important. And what's amazing about Australians is we are an incredibly generous country. In a recent Charities Aid Foundation um, report, they ranked Australia as fourth most generous in the world. And I think despite, you know, um, pandemics and bushfires and various, um, you know, uh, you know, tragedies that happen, Australians do um, dig into their pockets and give deep and support each other. And I think that's what one of the most incredible things about um, living in Australia and being part of the Australian community. So I'm hopeful that even though it will be a challenge in the coming year or two, that Australians will continue to understand um, what, what they need to do and the impact they, they can make with their donations. Well, it's been wonderful to have you on the show and to give some insight into what's happening. And whether you're in business at the moment and whether it's through your personal life, your business life, uh, you want to do some social good to actually affect our community, don't lose sight of the charitable sector. Think about who is closest to you. Think about the impact that you can help, whether it's health, medical, um, animal support, all of the various um, ways in which we need to see charities actually healthy in our society to have a healthy society. Catherine, really appreciate you being on the show and we'll put some notes um, in YouTube, Facebook and LinkedIn so that people can get hold of the FIA if they need to. Thank you very much, Andrew. Well, that was a great show for The Morning Kick. Now, next week, something a little bit different. What we're going to be doing is giving you some insights into your website. Over Tuesday and Thursday, we're going to be looking, first of all, at your homepage, and then the most important question you should be asking, where's the traffic to my website coming from? That's on Thursday. So join me on The Morning Kick next week when we'll get under the hood of your website, find out why it exists in the first place. It's not just a tick box on your business plan. I look forward to joining you then. I hope you'll be there. That's Tuesday and Thursday. We'll be there at 8 a.m.